0: So we are talking about trust and what it means to walk in trusting relationships with God and with those around us. We said that trust is being rested. Trust is about being rested, peaceful and calm when all around you a storm is raging. Because you've learned to rest in him. Trust is not letting your heart be troubled, as Jesus said. So John 14, 1, uh, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trusting God, trust also in me. And that word troubled is really interesting because it means to be agitated, to be restless, to be anxious, distressed, perplexed. And so when Jesus talks about trusting, he's talking about dealing with all those things. He's talking about dealing with anxiety, with a lack of peace, of being at rest, of not being perplexed. And of course, if there was ever a time when we need to learn And share with those about the ability to trust in God. It must be now. Because there are more people perplexed than ever. Troubled in that sense than ever. Because they've watched for a year. uh, A fear driven narrative. They've seen every day how many people have died. And that has an impact. And please please don't think that just because we're kind of. Getting to the end of this thing or moving towards it. That suddenly that all just disappears. No many people have been traumatized. By what they've been subject to. And trauma doesn't just disappear. Trauma sits in your heart and it has to be dealt with and healed. So, of course, it's wonderful we can look forward and we might feel a bit more hopeful, but you know, it's a bit like I always remember uh, I can't remember when it was a few years ago now, there were some serious floods in Shipley. It was the, on Boxing Day and the river was ridiculously high. It flooded all sorts of properties. And um, I remember going down there a few weeks afterwards. And right high up in the trees was all this rubbish. Carrier bags and all sorts of stuff. Trolleys were kind of up on the banks. There was all this stuff. And I just thought, yeah, that's a great great picture of what happens when somebody goes through a traumatic time. The flood comes, and the flood goes away, and everybody goes, oh, it's all right now. But it leaves behind all this debris. The reality of all the debris was there, just hanging, exposed. And then at some point, the councils presumably had to spend a ton of money, and they cleaned it all up and tied it all around, but... But lots of people have gone through this time. Perhaps you have gone through this time. And it might feel like the floods are burning. But actually it will have left some rubbish lying around. Some marks of what's happened. And we have to be able to deal with them a process them. There's going to be a huge task. And, and the church should be the most equipped people on the face of the earth to help people through it. But of course you, you can only be equipped to help somebody else if you yourself have learned to do it. But we should be the most equipped. So we said this trust must be built, and it takes effort, vulnerability, honesty, and sacrifice. Uh, last week, I was talking about the interconnectedness of trust and intimacy, emotional intimacy. Shared about the link between the two. We said we designed for intimate relationships. That's what Genesis 2 and 3 tells us. It's what psychologists tell us and I shared about these deeper levels of intimacy and we said that a relationship can only go as deep as each partner in that relationship is willing to go. And of course, any picture of a relationship on the earth is is effectively a mirror of the one with heaven. So your relationship with the Father can only go as deep as you're prepared to go with him in terms of sharing with him. It, 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 the depth of your relationship with Jesus is, I mean, he's happy to go as deep as you want. But if you just want to talk to him about the weather, then you may not experience, well, you were experiencing experience him to the depth of what you could experience him. Uh, and then finally, we also shared about the, the tr- cycle. So this is how we build trust. Uh, and I'm not going to go through it all again because you can listen to last week's if you want here. I've not watched it yet. But trust is essentially built through a need being met, which brings contentment. But there are some very important steps on the process because... Uh, openness and honesty are vital in building trust because if you don't share your need and don't exp- or you might know you've got a need, if you don't express that need, nobody can respond to that need and that need can't be met. So, so you can't build trust without openness and honesty. If you never express that you have a need, you can't build trust with anybody because there's, no, there's just no way it can be built psychologically within you. But of course, the sharing of those needs is risky, which is why building trust is a big battle. Um, and of course trust is built through intimacy but intimacy requires trust we talked about this last week Um, and so most people never get to experience the joy of deep emotional relationships with other people because well for all sorts of reasons but I, I do want to say this deep emotional intimacy with those around us should be a normal part of the kingdom of God proper relationships should be a part of the kingdom of God a normal part I don't believe it's something special. I believe it's, it's one of the basics of the kingdom is learning to relate to one another properly and sharing life with one another. It's about being a proper community and a proper family. And of course, that, the reason why it perhaps is not as widespread as we might like it is because it costs. You've got to get out from behind your mask. You've got to be vulnerable. You've got to find people who maybe are trustworthy. And that, takes, uh, that has to be, to be built. But one of the ways I described trust to you was to think of it as giving somebody else something that's valuable to you. And and when we ask ourselves whether we trust someone, we're really asking whether they'll treat this thing that's valuable to us in the same way. Will they protect it, care for it, consider it in the way that I would protect it, care for it, and consider it? So we could say this. Someone who is trustworthy is someone who will look after our treasures in the same way that we look after them. So I think this is key. Somebody who is trustworthy is someone, and, and somebody who's trustworthy means worthy of our trust, worthy of us putting trust in them. They will look after our treasures in the same way we look after them. And the key thing is that someone's trustworthy will treat whatever it is you share with them as precious, even if to them it's not precious at all. So you might have noticed Peter sat here. This is Peter, Peter the Panda. This. He's my teddy from when I was a few months old. He's a little threadbare. He's had his head sewn on a couple of times. He's been restuffed, I think. Well, actually, he's a lot threadbare. Um, But he's Peter the panda. He's my oldest friend, my longest confidant. (laughs) Told him all my secrets when I was a teenager. I mean, a child. I'm doing well though. He don't come to bed when Faye's not there anymore, so <laughs> doing better now. But I bring him along because this means nothing to you. It's a scruffy teddy bear that looks like it should have been put in the bin twenty years ago. But for some ridiculous sentimental reason, it means something to me. He's precious. And he just sits in a drawer in the cupboard, but I don't feel like I want to throw him away just yet, which I know is pathetic. It's okay. It's fine. He serves a purpose as an illustration, though. That's why I keep him. <laughs> but It's a great example because th- this is something that may be precious to you, but to me, but he means absolutely nothing to you. But for me to trust you with him means that you would treat him as I would treat him, even though it means nothing to you. That's what I think trust really looks like. So if you were going to look after Peter, I would expect that you wouldn't throw him around because his arm might fall off. I would expect—I'm not suggesting that you might put him in, you know, although you could, like a nice vacuum, like free from dirt box type thing, some special preservative fluid or something. I don't. But let's let's talk. Let's let's put Peter there. You can. You can enjoy the message. There you go. We'll pray for it to be filled with the Holy Spirit in a moment. Okay. Not sure, why you're all laughing at that? You know? But but th- this idea of 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 treating something as though it's um, let me get it right, of someone who will look after our treasures in the same way we look after them applies for everything. So think about this. Um, think about a drill or a dress or whatever. So if you, um, I was going to say if I borrow a dress off you, but let's not go there. Let's. Um, <laughs> I, I, I know sometimes first friends come round and it seems very bizarre to me, but they decide they're going to borrow one of her dresses for something or whatever. Well, of course, part of her lending her that dress is that she trusts that, you know, it's going to come back clean and not in a carrier bag with a few stains on it. Now, it might not mean much to them, but to her, and there are certain dresses, I'm like, you're going to lend her that one? Like, oh. That's just me being weird, I know. But like, but, like, there's this whole thing about are you going to look after it? If I if I lend you a drill, I expect that it's not going to come back with this motor's burnout. You, I, I trust you're going to actually look after it. So, <laughs> <laughs> you didn't. You <laughs> didn't. You just didn't turn it on or something because it worked perfectly when I got it back. <laughs> she was mortified because she thought she'd broken it. <laughs> but she didn't. Uh, I didn't even think about that. Let's <laughs> move on quick. Oh, I'm, I'm worried about all my other examples now. <laughs> um, but you know, let's think about memories. If I'm going to share a memory with you, then if I trust you, I'm going to trust you not just going to kind of poo-poo it or think it's nothing, like it's precious to me. If it's one of my precious memories, I expect you might listen and care and go, oh, that's wonderful, rather than go, well, that's rubbish. Like, I'm, Do you understand me? We, we, there's all these things. Uh, uh, what about time? Time. If I've trusted you with my time, and we're going to have an hour together, but you turn up five minutes late and you're on the phone all the time and you leave five minutes early. Well, you're not treating what I think is precious as I would treat it. I've tried to trust you with it, but you're not really showing me that you are trustworthy with my time. All I, let's think about, um, this is an interesting one, Let, let's think about kids, you know, because maybe I might trust you with my kids. But if you think, well, of course, my kids are precious to me. But when we talk about trustees like you treating them as I would treat them, what does that mean? Well, of course, it, it means that if I say they're ready to drink water, you just give them water because then you're trustworthy. But if you continually, and you see this sometimes with, with grandparents, if, if you continually go, well, I know mom says this, but we're going to do this, and you break it all, eventually, well, you might not see them as often because you've proved you're not trustworthy. You're not trustworthy with something that's not yours. You've not looked after it in the right way according to how that person wants you looking after. And of course what's interesting is that sometimes we might disagree with how that person looks after it. Well, that's really not your issue, is it? If you're going to be trustworthy, you're going to treat as precious what somebody else thinks is precious. What about secrets? Our past, our journey, our stories, our histories. Of course it's precious to you. Probably the most precious things to you. Your concerns, your anxieties, your fears. They're the most precious things that you carry. Well, of course, you, it, it's not precious to me in that sense. I do not mean anything to me. It's your journey. It's your past. And yet, if I'm trustworthy, I will hold it as closely as I was hold my own. One of the fascinating things about trust is that it operates on so many levels. There may be people in your life who you, you would trust with your children, but not with your secrets. Or you would trust with your favorite dress, but not with your time. Trust, of course, is really complex in that regard. It's not as simple as saying, well, I trust this person or I don't trust that person. We trust certain things with certain people. There is also a sense that we trust based on a person's character, but also their skills, training, and experience. When my car breaks down, I, I ring Steve up because I trust him because he knows what he's doing. If I get arrested, I ring Philip because hopefully he'll be able to get me out. Because <laughs> I trust his skill and his experience. But you understand me, I, 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 depending on what I want to do or what I want to achieve. If I want to be protected or not keep myself safe, I might, I might talk to Nigel. Or if I wanted to learn how to teach my kids, I might speak to Claire. Or I don't know, there's all sorts of things that we could do. So we trust people based on their experience or their skills. But this is what I find interesting. In terms of character, our trustworthiness, our trustworthiness should grow across all of our lives. So it shouldn't really be that people can trust us with one thing but not another. That shouldn't really be the case. It shouldn't really be that people can trust you with the money but not the time or the secrets but not the children. If we're kingdom people, which we're meant to be, and we're living all of our lives before God, then trustworthiness should grow across all our lives. But what I see is we often compartmentalize life. We don't actually live all of our life before God. We live parts of our life before God. So we allow God to be in this part, but we don't really share with him about this part. And then, so in our work environment, we're like, yes, it's, God's going to be a big part of this. But then in terms of our friendships or our specific relationships, we kind of we don't really share that part with him. So you get these people where God kind of works in some parts, but not in other parts. But actually, if we're going to be kingdom people, then we must ensure we don't live life in silos or in compartments, that we allow God to speak and work into every aspect of our lives. And this is why it's important. Because if you live all of your life before God and seek to live consistently in every part, you bring every part into the light, you operate in openness, honesty, vulnerability in every part, then when God touches you in some special way, it touches every part of your life. You see, what I see is sometimes because we do, we kind of, we, we, we operate at different levels of intimacy in different parts of our life with God. When He comes along, and perhaps we have a season of provision, or we have a season of joy, or we have a season of acceleration, it, that that season can only impact those parts that you've actually given Him. So you may be in a season of acceleration and God's accelerating you, but if actually this part of your life is not given over to him, you don't experience acceleration in that part of your life. It was fascinating that um, Faye and I had this conversation a little while ago. She was trying to work out why all of a sudden she had these breakthroughs with appointments. Why had she suddenly, it happened just two weeks from seeing a GP to seeing a neurological consultant on the AHS why did that happen so fast why did she get this breakthrough when she was like well maybe it's because we prayed here or maybe it's because I wrote this letter and you kind of go no I don't first of all I don't think you pull levers and God works so it will not work like that but second of all it dawned on me as we were taught a little bit more I said but think about it we we live all of our lives before him and God's accelerated our lives therefore he's accelerating everything it's not just one part. Because it's all before God. Everything gets accelerated. So what, what, I, I, I realized as we were having this conversation. It would be unusual if that weren't accelerated. That would be strange. If God's accelerating this. And he's accelerating that. he's accelerating the other. And all this is going on for us. Because of how. Well who knows why. But it is. Then surely the question would be. Why is this not going faster? But you see. In order for that to happen, you have to live all of your life in the same way. You have to be consistent wherever you are, whether you're on a platform, in your home, on your own, at work, on the train. So I want to encourage you that that all of our lives are lived before him. Because then when when, when that kind of grace touches you in some way, It gets to just flood across all of your life. Okay, I want to just kind of move on from that and think about God and trust this morning. We're going to look at what it means to trust others and growing in trust and rebuilding trust another time. But this morning, I want to just think about God and trust. Because there were some things that even we've talked about this morning, about what it might mean to trust God. Or more importantly, what we're trusting God for. And whether some of our disappointment is because some of that trust is perhaps not quite correctly aligned. Um, But before we get into that, I just want to show you real quick that trust is at the heart of the Trinity. So I've always said that that if you want a model of what life is meant to be like, just look how the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit operate. That's your model of relationship. That's your model of community. If you want to know what life's meant to be like, it's meant to be like that. Men with that sort of interaction or moving towards that place we'll probably never get there on the earth but we've got to move towards that place God dwells in community and does nothing outside of it, he does nothing outside of relationship and of course to be any sort of effective relationship there's got to be some measure of trust so Luke 22 says this it's Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed Father if you are willing take this cup from me yet not my will But yours be done, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. So at this point, Jesus is going, if we could find another way through, that would be wonderful. If there's another way we can do this, Father, that would be great. uh, Because I'm not really looking forward to what's coming. His humanity gives me hope. I mean, he'd already left heaven for earth, given up all his heavenly privileges. He'd already paid a great price before he even got to the cross. But of course, Jesus trusts his dad completely and submits himself totally to the will of the Father. And the Father trusts Jesus to go through with a plan. The Father trusts him to go through with a plan. Jesus had a choice. If he didn't have a choice, it wasn't love. If Jesus had no choice but to do it, the Father was controlling him and telling him exactly what he had to do. Jesus always had a choice. Jesus could have called down those angels and they could have killed everybody. And he could have gone, no, Father, I'm just going to go back. He had a choice. He must have had a choice. But the Father trusts Jesus to go through with the plan to allow himself to be killed for our sakes. And Jesus trusts the Father enough to allow the plan to be carried out. He trusts that dying is the way to life and submits to that plan for you and me. So there's trust. It just lives there. And most of the time, we, trust, we talk about whether we trust God and what that might mean. But have you ever thought about whether the Father trusts you? Because God trusts you in a number of incredible ways. If being trustworthy is looking after someone else's treasures in the same way they look after them, think about how God does that. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 4. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. So God entrusts you to share the one thing that he gave his son for. He says, I'm going to trust you with it. There's no other way, really, of letting people know about Jesus other than you. And you sharing his life with those around you. And I'm trusting you with it. That's a pretty big piece of trust, isn't it? Given that it's no guarantee that we'll do it. Of course, he's always chosen to select, humble, mold, equip, anoint, and trust people, you and me, to represent him personally on the earth. That's the extent to which God trusts us. God sent Jesus, and now he's sending you. So you can say, what does Jesus look like? Well, he looks a little bit like me. That's what we're meant to get, though. You are. You were you the one who is carrying him, aren't you? You've got his spirit on the inside of you. You're the one. He trusts you to express him, to show him, to care for him, to speak for him. But more than that, if trust is giving somebody else something that's valuable to you and trusting you'll do what's right, well, well, the father gave the son. The father gave Jesus his most precious thing and then trusted that you'd do what's right with it. You'd receive him, welcome him in. Is there anybody more trusting than the father? It's incredible when you think about it. He trusts us with the most valuable thing he ever had, his own son. He trusts all of humanity with his own son. This is how vulnerable, open, and trusting God is. He doesn't wait until there are a certain number of people who will take him up on the offer of new life. No, No, he does it all up front with no guarantee that anybody will take him up on the offer. God trusts you. He trusts you to express himself, to share himself. But why would you trust God? Think about it for a moment. If someone asked you why they should trust God, what would they say? What would your answer be? Ponder it. I'd answer them with a question. Because if it were good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. I'd ask them, what are you thinking of trusting God for? And I'd ask that question because many of our disappointments with God come from misunderstanding what we are trusting God for. I want I want you to think. Maybe if you take your notes, you can do it or think about it. What are the top three things you are trusting God for right now? What are the top three things you're trusting him for? Have a think, write it down, take a moment, ponder it. Top three things you're trusting God for right now. And then we have to ask whether those three things tie in with the one thing that God has ordained and predetermined for you. Romans 8, verse 29. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Are those three things about you being shaped and molded into the image of His Son? are they perhaps more likely about trusting him to bring the finance in, to keep someone safe, to do this, to do that, to make this happen, to make this stop? You see, so many of us have become disappointed with God because we're trusting him for things he's not primarily interested in. Primarily interested in. I I didn't realize it said it at the time, but let me just, I mean, it's all through scripture. But let me read Psalm 37 again. It was from the Passion. At the beginning, by the way. But it says this. Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Or from Jesus, seek first his kingdom, and all these things will be added unto you. Most of our problems and disappointment are we get it the wrong way around. We we want the the desires of our heart before we want the lord and we want all these things before we want his kingdom but but you see the kingdom is not really primarily about those things listen and a lot of us for some reason we've been we've made Christianity a westernized 21st century version that means that God is going to bless us and I'm going to have always money in the bank and I'm going to have at least 20 outfits to choose from in my wardrobe and I'm going to have two cars on the drive and I'm never going to go through pain. This is what the kingdom's like, according to Paul. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I have received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own people, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. That is the kingdom of God. woo <laughs> Such a great message, isn't it? Next slide, Matt. God's primary working is in you. In everything that you go through, he's trying to build his kingdom in you. And of course, we for some reason want to trust him that it's all going to be all right. And if I just pray Psalm 91 over myself, I'll never go through anything difficult. Do you not think Paul knew Psalm 91? Do you not think he knew it off by heart? Either, Paul knew the whole of the Old Testament off by heart. He was a, he was a, he was something. He was a rabbi, wasn't he? He was like, he was the best of the best, Studied under Gamaliel, studied under the best people. He knew it all. It not like he got his Bible. Oh, I'm on a shipwreck. break. I'm going to minute him, he's fine. Listen, it was true to him, but this is what he went through to see the kingdom come. Because he lived for the kingdom of God. You live to see it. So what are you trusting God for? Are you trusting God to see his kingdom come? See, I I, I believe God wants to provide. I believe he wants to bless. I believe he wants in good health. I believe all that. But somewhere along the lines, though, our westernized version of that has gone too far. I mean, if you've eaten today, you've been provided for. Been provided for don't mean that you have three months' food in the freezer. But we go, fridge is empty. What we mean is there's enough there to make food for three days. Not really, don't we? I've got nothing to wear. Not really. Really. We, we've fallen for this westernized version, and, and we've forgotten that it's not really about any of that stuff. It's meant to be about the kingdom of God coming on the face of the earth. And when we start to trust him for that and pursue that, then perhaps some of those things will come. But even if they don't, that's not the issue. We've been sold a lie that if we just come to Jesus, we'll have a nice life. Will you read the Acts of the Apostles and tell me if coming to Jesus gives you a nice life? Gives you an exciting life? Gives you an incredible life of seeing all sorts happen? And the one thing I do know is that when we come to Jesus, He restores us and He heals us. But but for me, it's got to be about our internals. It's got to be about our heart. It's got to be about what He does on the inside, because we've also fallen for the lie that when we just get the garden rearranged nicely, it'll all be okay. Don't be so naive. just put that last slide back on. What does it mean to trust God? It means to trust that he's working in you to make you more like Jesus. And if that's not number one on your list, then it needs to start being near to number one. Because it'll save you a whole load of disappointment. You see, we've just got to get things in the right order. We get them back to front all the time. But what I've found is when I live for his kingdom, and when I live for what he wants to do in me, generally, the outward stuff starts to fall into place. But whenever I've focused on the outward stuff, just does not work, just don't work. But when I focus on being like him, it's like all sorts of stuff happens. sometime at some point later on this year I'm going to talk about this westernized consumer version of Christianity and what we need to do to get rid of it but not now as much as I want to launch into it but I want to encourage you God God loves you he's got his best for you he wants you to have all sorts of good stuff but it's really clear from me from many scriptures That when we seek him first, then all these things are done to us. The best question you can ever ask, whether it's a mountain or a valley, is God, what do you want to do in me? What do you want to teach me? What do you want to show me? Those are all the best questions we've got to ask all the time. When you learn to live in that place, you just find that other things tend to fall into place. That's just how it seems to me. anything you want to share Peter (laughs) no he's just enjoying the moment shall we pray thank you Lord Father, I just pray that in whatever ways you've touched people this morning, Lord, it would remain with them. Lord, whether that's been through whatever everybody said or just in the silence or in the song, I believe, Lord, that you speak to us. And I pray, Lord, that whatever you have spoken would sit and remain with us, Father, it wouldn't be snatched away in any way, shape, or form, but it would remain with us. And Father, I pray that perhaps as we are bold enough to more regularly or even to start asking those questions about what do you want to do with me, that you would be quick to answer in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, for your heart towards us, your heart that continually flows towards us in love and goodness, and we bless you. As our good, good Father. In Jesus' name. Amen.